a singular vision can guide us to some really good places. Steve Jobs is an excellent example of this. A business leader with his kind of singular particular vision led Apple to become a marketplace leader in its own kind of niche and a lot of my money into his pockets. He, in, a, in a time where it wouldn't make sense to say this, he had the vision to see uh, offices as computer focused instead of typewriter focused. In fact, uh, he thought that every office would be organized by computers and, and not typewriters. And this is a time when computers weren't really a thing. In 1981, a memo sent in response to Jobs' vision said that Apple wouldn't be buying any more typewriters themselves because of this big vision. It had this quote. It says, we believe the typewriter is obsolete. Let's prove it inside before we try and convince our customers. So before anything goes out, goes on out there, let's prove it in here before it goes on out there. Now, our problem just kind of in our, our normal lives, you know, may not be with not having a vision. It might probably most likely it's the fact that we have too many competing visions going on all at once within us. We, we, it's not that we don't have enough, it's that we don't, we have too many. I mean, am I going to be a good parent or am I going to have a good career? Have you ever felt that pull? I know I have. I know my wife has. Am I going to enjoy eating that thing or I'm, or am I going to go work out? I mean, that's a very easy one, right? Am I going to spend time with my family or my friends or people from my church or whoever else? Like, we're pulled in all sorts of different directions. And without a singular vision behind what we do, it's really easy to not go anywhere and still feel like we're working really hard. And if we can't prove it in here, we can't prove it out there. So vision is good, but singular vision is better. And for it to be singular and to be good, then that has to be a good vision to begin with. And that means traveling over the same direction over time, over and over again. A life with vision is one worth living. It gives meaning to us. It gives meaning to the small things that we do in the everyday. We can see progress in the past, and we can see a hope for more of that to go on in the future. So in this story, in Acts 20, we get a glimpse into an impressive figure's singular vision. We get to see how Paul has joined in with God's mission. Um, and he has these parting words for people who he dearly loves. Paul is pouring out his heart. He's kind of giving his, 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 his like last words in person to these people that he loves. He's done many things. He's done lots of really good things. He's a man of singular vision because Jesus is behind it all. For Paul, Jesus is behind it all. And this is, there's not a, a mantra. There's not a pithy quote. There's not a mindset. It's not a religion. It's the person of Jesus behind Paul's life is what gives Paul that singular vision. And that's what we need in our lives as well. We need Jesus to give us his vision. Our visions are going to go in all sorts of directions, and we don't know if they're going to be good or not. Like we're just kind of like taking steps as we think. We need Jesus to give us his vision, to keep us on track with that vision when we veer off, because we will. And we need Jesus to give us the energy to continually be able to do that. So here's what we're going to look like. Uh, here's what we're going to look at in this story. We're going to look at Jesus' singular vision and how it's found on the mission, how it's bought by Jesus, and how it, and we'll find out it's where God works. So Jesus' singular vision is found on the mission, it's bought by him, by Jesus, and it's where God works. And a key verse we're going to look at is verse 24. Verse 24 says, However, this is Paul speaking, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That'll be kind of like one of the main verses that we'll focus on here. But let's start with that first 
the first heading. Jesus' vision is found on the mission. And let's take an overview kind of at Paul's life here first. Paul didn't know what cities he was going to go to ahead of time. He just didn't. He, he didn't know that he'd be imprisoned. He, he, knew that, he didn't know there would be riots. He didn't know that he'd speak to the people he was going to speak to. He didn't know any of that ahead of time. That doesn't mean he didn't make plans. Of course he made plans. But he responded to he changed those plans when he was following Jesus. Now Luke, our author of Acts, uh, gets details of, of Paul's travels, gets details of these accounts, and he's compiling this book. But now Paul's adventures catch up to his own, and Luke is, is, is involved. Uh, we notice that the, the language changes from Paul and his crew to Paul and us. Paul, Luke joins Paul's crew. Uh, he says, like, they waited for us and we sailed, things like that. Now, it was while Paul was on God's mission that he was discovering how, this was, how these things were working out. It was while Paul was on the mission. Paul's participation in Jesus' vision, it was an unfolding process. He didn't have it all at once. What he knew at the end of his life, he didn't know at the beginning of his life, didn't know at the middle. It was kind of unfolding as it went. And when he sent off, set off from Antioch originally, did he know he was going to Ephesus? How about when he was waiting around in Athens, like waiting to get the lift from his friends? He's just kind of waiting around in Athens. Did, did he plan that talk ahead of time? Like, no, those things just happened while he was on the mission. Because Paul wasn't on the sidelines, he was in the game. He was participating. He was in it. He may not have known all the things that were going to go on, but he was in it. Now, verse 19 talks about uh, Paul serving with great humility. He's serving with tears. And while Paul was serving, even when it was difficult, and anything worth doing will be difficult, this vision of planting churches that Paul was a part of was not only realized, as we get to see kind of as these stories unfold, but it was discovered Maybe not a lot. A lot lot of us think that. Like Paul didn't know exactly all the things were going to happen. He's discovering it as we are reading it. So a a singular vision for your life can only be found when we're on God's mission. We're not going to get the thing and then do the thing. As we're doing the thing, we understand what we get to be a part of. And and so, what is God's mission, though? Let's just not assume that you know we're all on the same page with that. It's exactly what Paul says in verse 21. In verse 21, Paul says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul is preaching to people, regardless of their background, that they must realign their lives to God and put their trust in Jesus. Now, you might be saying, Greg, I'm not preaching. Oh, but yes, my friend, you are. We always are. We're always preaching. We're always making disciples. The question is, what are we preaching about? Who are we making disciples of? That's always what's going on. The middle class path of success or the way of Jesus? What are we making disciples of? Now, all of this is difficult. Nobody ever said this was easy. This is a difficult thing. But as we read Paul's words here, he's encouraged and he's encouraging others, even though it's difficult. Things don't have to be easy in order for you to encourage others. If we seek out the path of least resistance, don't, and we don't risk, and we play it comfortable, and we, we find a lack of encouragement because there's a lack of meaning there. We'll feel a bit empty because we're made for these kind of big things. If we do go the path of least resistance, we also won't have much to encourage others with. doesn't seem to make much sense first, but that's how it works. And now that doesn't mean you have to do crazy things. Uh, It doesn't mean that um, you're going to be like planting churches in Asia, but it does mean that we have to continually be going back to Jesus and ask him where he wants us to go. That's something that all of us have to do. 
because we have a relationship with the Lord first. We don't have a set of marching orders first. We have a relationship with the Lord first. And notice that living with Jesus' vision, uh, something that's discovered while on his mission, is how God creates community. It's how God creates community. We've seen this in Acts all the time. Community starts with mission first. So in the church, mission precedes community. The vision for community is to participate in God's mission. Now, this is why we have missional communities. This is why we put the label of missional communities on our small groups, almost to kind of keep us honest to, to what we believe the Bible teaches about. But if we don't, kind of have that before us. If we don't have the mission before us, our small groups end up kind of not really having room for other people. And uh, they're, they're made and organized around people who already believe all the same things. And the voices of those who aren't yet in that group, they don't really get a voice. They're silenced. Now, if we find community while we're on the mission, that changes the type of community that we are, the type of community we experience. It helps prevent our consumerism, because we're all prone to that. It helps prevent our consumerism and sets us on the biblical path of being others-orientated. So if a community shoots for community, you'll probably get it. It's actually quite easy to do. Like to, for a community to just be a community, that's very easy to do. But that will be a certain kind of community, one that's merely orientated around those who are already there or people who are just like us, like a support group. And those can be very helpful in certain situations. In the church, though, if a community shoots for mission, you get mission and community. That's why we call them missional communities. Now, the type of community you get in that kind of community is different. It's one that's bound together and also bound towards others who aren't yet in that group. It's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more messy and there's a lot more failure, but it's worth going after because that's what we're made for. And that's the model of church that we're given in Acts. And that's how it worked for Paul. It was on the mission that these communities were created. And when he speaks of leaving this mission-oriented community, there are tears. It's really good to be sad when you leave because that means that you care for the people there. It's really good to be sad when you leave. That means we've formed strong bonds with each other. And at the end of this passage, verses uh, 36 through 38, says this, When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Where grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, one reason we may not want to live in this kind of way is the fear of failure. Like, what if I try this thing and it doesn't work out? That keeps us on the sidelines. Now, we may not be traveling around in Asia, again, like planting churches like Paul, but how many times have you refrained from saying something to somebody because you thought you'd get it wrong, or maybe they'll ask a question that you don't know the answer to? Or maybe you haven't invited someone to something because you're afraid they're going to say no. Now, we're risk-averse because we're afraid to fail. Failure is not following through to begin with, though. Failure is not um, someone turning you down for an invite. Failure is not someone asking you a question that you don't get right. Failure is not kind of presenting the gospel in a way that is like kind of incomplete. Failure is not following through to begin with. Not saying something, not asking, not inviting, not picking up the phone, not sending that text. That's what failure looks like with Jesus. Now, whether people respond the way we want them to isn't actually part of the equation. We don't see that in the Bible at all. That's how we act all the time. When in the Bible does it say that it's only okay to share the gospel with people who you think are going to respond well to it? In fact, the Bible is very much against that idea. How others respond is not your responsibility. 
your responsibility is, if you follow Jesus, your responsibility is to give people those opportunities to say yes or no, to join in or not. Now, Jesus is, is in the game. He's on the mission. Where are we in this? And when we fail in that, because we will, let's not say like, oh man, I'm, not, I, I'm afraid to even do it because maybe I'll even fail in that. When we fail, because we will, we ask Jesus to forgive us and ask him to realign our lives with, with him and we try again and he's the one who empowers us to do it. Jesus' vision for our lives is found on his mission. Now, Paul here seems quite resolute. It seems like Paul never had like a doubting bone in his body. Um, the Holy Spirit even is warning him of danger. In verse 23, Paul says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me. Like this is the Holy Spirit himself, like warning him. Um, but it's not the Holy Spirit to say, don't do that. It's just giving him like this is something bad will happen. And yet Paul still continues on. Where does this resolve come from? How can we stay with Jesus on his mission? Because it's really difficult, not just to like get in there, but to stay in there. How do we do that? Well, Jesus's vision is founded on him and his work. It's bought by Jesus. He bought it with his own blood. We are bought by Jesus and it's Jesus and what he's done that gives us the passion, the energy, the fortitude, the resolve, the resilience to continue on. Let's look at verse, um, verse 28. Uh, Luke writes, uh, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So the church is bought by Jesus's own blood. Here it doesn't say that Jesus died for you. It doesn't say that here. It says that he died for the church. Now that includes you, of course, but isn't limited to you. That's very different. The church is not you. The church is not Redeemer. It's not even all the Christians at this moment in time. The church is the family of God from the beginning of time to the new heavens of earth and earth. The church is our fathers, sons, and daughters bought by Jesus together. We ran away from him and Jesus bought us back by buying us back through his death. Now, before the creation of the world, even according to the book of Ephesians, before the creation of the world, the Father and the Son and the Spirit had a plan. And they, their mission, their plan was to have a people for himself. That's what God wanted, people for himself who can experience his love, who can experience his glory. And how did God carry out this mission? Through the church. We experience his love and glory, and God has chosen others to experience his love and glory through us. So it doesn't come from us, it's not, it's not emanating from us, it's what we get to reflect to others. Now, In the beginning of Acts, way back in chapter 1, after Jesus has resurrected, before he ascends to the throne in power, uh, the disciples ask him, in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom to Israel? Now, it seems like Jesus doesn't answer them at first. And for a long time, I thought that Jesus kind of did one of those things where he gives them an answer, but not kind of the answer that they were talking about. Um, as if like Jesus, you know, doesn't really bother answering a silly question. Like they just don't get it. And they don't really get it. But Jesus answer, does answer them, uh, just not in the way they expected, or, or maybe me or you. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1, Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So we're not in control of the timeline. And then this is what Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples ask, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Jesus says, now. 
through you, not me, through you, not me on earth, through me working through you on earth. The kingdom is being restored now through you, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be Jesus's witnesses near and far. It's on the back of our, of our books for Acts, the very back of it. Now look back, here we go in our, in our um, chapter here in chapter 20. Look back at that verse 28 we talked about. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who has made leaders in the church? Not us, the Holy Spirit. This is a thing that Jesus has bought, that Jesus enables through his spirit. And so what do we devote ourselves to? Again, it's not to us, it's to God. Look at verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all who, those who are sanctified. You see the Trinity in action here? The church bought by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit through his leaders, committed to God and his word. God's mission is the life force of the church. The church is not static. The church is always on God's mission, always moving in our hearts and in the hearts of those who don't know him yet. And that's what we get to do as we join even a small local church like Redeemer. Now, Jesus could have died for anything. He chose to die for the church. The church is a really big deal for Jesus. Now, I'm willing to bet Jesus probably has a higher view of the church than you or I have. Probably that's the case. I hope that as we realize our lame and small views of the church in light of Jesus' view of the church, that we would surrender to him and to his view. Now, I don't know anyone who has too high a view of the church, but I know many people, myself included, actually I know every person I know, often has too high a view of themselves. So all of us are there. We're all there together. When it comes to our faith, we cannot help but be individualistic by nature, by default. It's kind of one of the idols that we're given to when we're born in this time and place. Now, what could it look like to realize that the church, the church is the place to be? Even our church, imperfect, small, probably doesn't feel like there's like a lot of stuff going on all the time. But this is where Jesus is at work. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus is at work here, bringing people from darkness to light. Now, anyone in any job can get in on this. You don't have to get paid by the church to do this. Being part of Redeemer is nothing less than being part of God's eternal global plan to answer the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, to unite heaven and earth together. And that's why we say at the ends often of our prayers, in Manchester as in heaven. Now, you might say, yeah, but my life doesn't really feel like that. And Greg, I've looked at Redeemer. It really doesn't look like that. Well, let's let our imaginations be molded by God and his word. Often our imaginations are too small. We can't see it. Not because it's not going on, but because we're, we're, our eyes are, are too, dark, too dim to be able to see it. This is what the Bible says his church is all about. And more of our lives formed by God, the more we're going to get that, the more we're going to see it, the more we'll understand it, and the more we'll enjoy it. Now, anyone in any spiritual condition, situation, can get in on this. If you've been around the church for a while, you probably have a lot of knowledge. How are you putting that knowledge to work for the thing that Jesus cares about, which is the church? How are you being a part of the church's mission with the knowledge that you have? If you're new to the faith or if you're new to our particular church, how are you not just kind of consuming but also participating in the mission of the church? And it's an exciting thing to do. If you don't know Jesus yet, uh, maybe you're interested or maybe you're just curious. This is for you as well. Anyone can get in on this. Jesus came to earth to give us something new. That's what he did. If you're tired of the status quo 
that this world holds up as the good life, there is something more of life for you to experience. You can't do better on your own. You deserve something more. You deserve God. You deserve to know Him and to, to enjoy Him, for, for His love to be poured into you. He's not something that you kind of try really hard to reach up to, and if you're really, really good, like maybe He'll smile upon you. That, that's not it. He's someone who came down and saw our need and reached down into, uh, to us, down into the pit that we were in, and brought us up through His strength. Well, now we're kind of veering into our last point here, that the mission is where we find God working. First, we saw how we, um, we find ourselves on God's mission, and that's how we discover the vision that Jesus has for us, it, uh, involved in the church that uh, Jesus bought himself. And this is where we find God working. This is where God works. Here we have a story um, early on. This is kind of crazy how Luke writes these stories. Um, Eutychus, his uh, resuscitation in verses 7 through 12. It's just kind of like, yep, yeah, and then this happened. A guy died and he was brought back to life. So anyway, as I was saying, it's kind of like as if it's normal. Now, Paul's been going on for hours and hours and hours. He's preaching his heart out, I hope. Um, I don't know any preachers like that. I don't know. I, I don't know any preachers who who are like that. But people are falling asleep. Uh, by the way, it used to be that people uh, seeing people sleep during a sermon used to kind of really get me down. Kind of like, oh, I wasn't like enough for that person. Like here I am, like you know, with uh, passion, trying to connect with people, but also like believing that the message itself is is the powerful thing, and God works through preaching. And people are just kind of sleeping. But then I realize it kind of happens to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're like the me- the best megachurch pastor, preacher guy, or just some, some dude, everyone falls asleep when people preach. Um, I don't know if that makes me happy or sad, but you know, I made my peace with it anyway. So this guy, he's fallen asleep, uh, falls from the third story. Uh, so there must've been quite a crowd and he falls over. He's dead. Paul resuscitates him. And now I bet people are awake. People who are kind of like maybe a bit sleepy. eyed are like, Oh my goodness. Did you just see that? This guy was brought back to life. It's like suddenly saying sex in the middle of a sermon. All of a sudden people are like, Oh, um, well, what was that? Uh, yeah, I'm taking notes here. There's a crazy miracle. There's proof of God working. It's just told like another story. Now, God brings people back from the dead, literally here and spiritually in all of our lives who follow Jesus. Sometimes we have these kind of one-off crazy moments in our lives that we can't explain outside of God working. God works that way sometimes. We should pray for supernatural power. And we have that connection. We should pray for that supernatural power to be at work in our lives for God's glory. Not for us to be great or to see an amazing thing or to experience an amazing thing, but for God to get the glory that He deserves. We should never reduce God to work merely in natural ways. But that doesn't happen all the time. Uh, I've not seen this happen yet. Uh, maybe none of us will see something kind of amazing and supernatural like this happen in our lives. But for all of us, like for all of us, God works in the everyday stuff of life and the kind of day in, day out, mundane kind of patient stuff. He gives us endurance for that. Now, we already mentioned uh, verse 32, but, but let's go there again. Verse 32. Uh, I'll just read it for us. It says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We get built up by the word built up. Now being built up is something that takes time. It takes practice. It's a habit. You don't build something up overnight. The habits we create end up forming who we are. 
So if we want to be gospel-formed, we will have a habit of being built up in the Word, being formed by that. Now, if you don't know how to read the Bible in a way that makes sense, or if you just want to read more of it, or if like, you'd really like to, you're just not really sure what, what next, let us know. We would love to make that happen. We would love to help. And as we are in this building up process, we will know that God's words to us say that we must always be realigning our ways with His. We should not be surprised when we find ourselves out of alignment with God. This is very normal. It goes back to verse 21 that we talked about. That um, Paul says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in Lord Jesus. Repentance is a realignment from our ways to Jesus' way. And it's a lifelong process. It's ongoing. And this is where God works. He works in the slowness of reading, in the stillness of contemplation, in, in the silence of prayer, that quiet prayer to him, there are a few times the mission will look fantastic. Hopefully it will sometimes, but there, those times are probably going to be few. And maybe we ourselves will never experience those fantastic times. But all of us, if we want to be a part of Jesus' vision, we need to be with God in these small ways. If, we don't, if it's not working in here, we'll never, we should never expect to be proving it out there. Now, very few of these times are going to feel extraordinary, but it's like a compound interest. You know, if you give 100 pounds once, that's not really going to save very much for, for retirement. But if you do it every month, month in, month out, and then compound interest, it rolls over, it rolls over, it becomes something real, it accumulates, and it becomes more than a sum of the parts. By ourselves, we end up with these kind of misaligned visions all over the place, going all sorts of directions, and then we're all super anxious about it. Even a singular vision, even if we had one that we can define, that we can achieve, that's only left for us to work, that's not good enough. That's far too small. We need a vision that God defines, that only God can, can achieve, and that otherwise, if God doesn't work, it will fail. Now, I was working on this sermon uh, early one morning before the house was awake. I was in this room here, the office, had my laptop on. Um, I got my working music on. I don't, if I'm working on my laptop, especially for writing, I have this kind of special playlist I have going on to get me into like the writing juices for them to, to start flowing. Um, and being kind of a former musician, my office kind of doubles as a mini recording studio. So I have some really good gear. Um, I have some amazing... Uh, monitors, uh, studio reference monitors, aka speakers to normal people, um, and and they're they're just a joy to be able to listen to music through. They make they make the music sound exciting. Um, so the morning I'm I'm writing there, I'm typing, I plug my computer in, I pop on the music, I get to work. I'm listening to the music and it sounds good, sounds fine. But halfway through working, I realized that the music wasn't coming through the good speakers, even though I had them on. Uh, the music was still coming out of the laptop speakers. And I changed it up, and immediately I hear the difference. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, the lows are lower, the highs are higher, the music just sounds better. There are instruments that I can hear now that I couldn't really hear before. And in general, the music is, like, smoother, it's less harsh, and it just sounds a lot more real. Sounds a lot more present, a lot more exciting. Now, this is what life is like outside of God's grace and within it. Outside of God's grace, it might sound okay. You know, it might be doable even. You might even be able to get by kind of day in and day out. Uh, you aren't aware that you're missing out. But inside of it, it's a whole different world. It's the same music, but it's a whole different world. It's a better world. There's a broader range. There's more expression. It's more enjoyable. It's more exciting. There's more of life to be enjoyed. 
Now let's not limit the range of our existence as humans. Let's take in all that we can. We don't have very much time on this earth. Why not enjoy it to the, to the best that we can? Let's listen to the music the way it's supposed to, crank through some nerdy studio speakers. Now what a gift it would be to give someone nice speakers to listen to, to music through. And that's what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. It's a, it's a gift that's undeserved. God's grace to us, his mission to us, is himself. He gives himself to us. That's what he does. He has given himself to us through the cross of Christ. Now, part of that gift is saving us from our small speakers, our small mission, to something better, participating in others being able to receive this grace. Not just for ourselves, but also for others. This doesn't mean you have to leave your job to join God's church in this mission. In your job, you get to take the church with you. People can pray for you. You can pray to God. You get to bring the Trinity into work, into the mundane admin details of your work. Whatever the worst part of your job is, the Trinity can be at work there. With the most difficult people to the people you enjoy the most, the Trinity can be at work there. And so can the church as we pray for you and as we join you in it. Uh, in doing what you love, whatever kind of hobby it might be. It doesn't have to be either I can do that or I can join God's mission. If God has given you that love, there's a reason for it. Connect it to his mission because he's at work there. There is a way that he's at work there. The question is asking him and, 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 and asking him to realign your life to his. Now, all of us and all the areas that we're called to, we can all live together with the same vision, with Jesus's vision. Living this life is found on his mission, in the game. There's no way to do this on the outside. There's no way to do this on the sidelines. We can talk about it, and that can be helpful, but there's no way to really do it unless we're in it. It's like the difference between playing an instrument, actually playing by learning, and then reading about how to play an instrument and trying to figure it out that way. You have to just pick up the instrument and play. Living this kind of life that we've been talking about is found on his mission. This mission works through the church been bought by Jesus' blood, and this is where God works. It's ground zero where God is at work. Now, we don't want anyone to miss out on what God has for them in their lives. We don't want anyone to miss out on God. If you aren't part of a church yet, maybe you've been listening to this, we would love uh, to be the family through whom God can show his love and glory. We would love to be able to be that family. We can call more of that out, and we can call more of you into life with Jesus. You can go to RedeemerMCR.com slash live if you're not there already. There's a little sign-up button. Click that. Just kind of give your name and your email. We can get connected, and we can talk about what that next step in your faith could look like. If you are part of Redeemer, let's all continue together in the slow work of being built up by God. It's going to be slow work. It's going to require patience that comes from God. And let's ask the Holy Spirit for His boldness. Not a boldness that comes from anxiety of feeling like I should do something or an anxiety of a boldness that comes from God Himself. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be super calm and meditative all the time when we walk around, but it is going to be we're going to get promptings from the Holy Spirit to tell us to do something. And let's, when that, when those times come, let's surrender to that and give in to that, not on our own. And as we realize just how much we depend on ourselves, and I hope that we do, I hope that's something that God gets to reveal to us every time. It's a function of love. As we realize just how much we depend on ourselves, how much we make up our own visions, how much we align um, our lives with our own, ask God to rescue us from that and ask him to realign ourselves with the way that Jesus has taught us to live. Ask him to bring more people 
into his family. Let's pray that more people would come to faith through us being able to be that church that, we were, that we're reading about here. More people to come into Redeemer because we are the church that Jesus calls us to as a tribute to God's grace and God's glory. Let me pray.